0: Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information.
1: The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are. And now, please welcome... Rob.
0: It's time for the Bradford Files, right now on WEI.com. Welcome
1: to another edition of the Bradford Files. I am lucky, once again, I don't know how I got him, but he was down the hall, and I saw him, and I said, will you be on my podcast for a second straight day? And contractual obligations said yes. Who is that talking? That is none other than Alex Spear. Alex, thanks for joining us once again.
2: I am grateful to be with the Bradford Files once again. It is a very uh, welcoming file.
1: Yeah, well, especially when the warmth of spring training is around the corner. And I'm not only talking about the physical warmth, but the emotional warmth as well, which uh, WEI.com will be bringing you every step of the way. Um, you shed a tear at uh, truck day, didn't you? No, I absolutely did not. No. I I'm not even going to joke about that. About I, <laughs> I have I have such a such a hatred for truck day. It's unbelievable. No emotional warmth there? Uh no. There's no no emotional warmth at all. I am completely jaded and I have no apologies for it. So, was
2: there was, was there a, a truck day trauma in your past?
1: No, it's it's it become farewell to a truck is stupid enough, but <laughs> But when you make poor kids wearing red sweaters throw little su- five cent souvenirs to the crowd, trying to get jacked up for the season, doesn't really do it for me.
2: Sounds like Mardi Gras to me. Yeah, like, what are you exactly. gonna do?
1: Now, now we're talking. <laughs> if you want, if you want a morph truck day into something completely different, that'd be great. If you see
2: Rob Bradford in spring training, remember to throw
1: beads. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, speaking of spring training, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about spring training, and uh, there's plenty of questions and. In, in Probably more things to actually watch regarding spring training than a couple years, which is an interesting dynamic in itself. But uh, Alex, I know that you have a couple questions that we, you want to broach, and I am happy to have them broached here on the Bradford Files.
2: That's how the Socratic method rolls on the yeah. Bradford Files.
1: Yes. Uh, so as we uh, as we
2: embrace such uh, such forms of inquiry, um, I'm I'm intrigued. You know, for starters, I think the overarching thing that we're looking at is. There's, it's a different spring training. This is, you know, this is not Tito and Milzy anymore. This is uh, this is Bobby Valentine and, and Tim Bogar. Uh, Bobby V and Bogey, as mm-hmm. it were. Yeah. Um the last time that they spent spring training together, I think, that it ended up with uh with Tim with, Bogard with, with, not being a fan with, of Bobby with Valentine.
1: But Todd, Todd Hundley defend, basically gathering the media crew around him to defend his good friend Tim Bogart against Bobby Valentine. Yes. That was like
2: fifteen years ago or something, right? Yeah, I
1: think all time heals all wounds. I don't know if you've heard of that, Alex.
2: Yes, time and uh time in professional relationships and you know, reporting structures and that sort of thing. But uh yeah, I, I guess do you anticipate this being well? For starters, we have we we were just talking about this a little bit. There is a difference in that there are a lot of unsettled roles. Whereas last year the roster was completely set, mm. this year that's not the case. We don't know how the shortstop division of labor is going to work. We don't know how necessarily the outfield division of labor is going to work. We don't know who the numbers four and five starters are. We don't know who the setup guys are going to be leading up to Mark Melanson and to uh, and to Andrew Bailey. What, what does that matter?
1: Uh, I think it does matter. And I, I might be completely wrong, but I do think it matters because if you just base it off of what happened in the last couple of spring trainings, these slow starts that they got off to, um, how, you know, people ask you, well, did you see what happened coming beforehand? And the only thing I would say about last year, and I date back this going back to spring training, is that it did seem like an entitled team. And I, to a certain extent, I don't blame him. I mean, it was human. Josh Beckett
2: showed up and said we're going to win. We, we, we were talking about winning 100 right, games a 100
1: year. games because everyone had kind of their lot in life settled. They knew where they were going to play. They knew what type of player they had been in the past, and they expected that to continue and to march to the World Series. Well, obviously that's not the case right now, and, and I think that – Uh, You you mentioned all the positional battles, but also, besides the positional battles, I think that even the guys who have settled positions, in a lot of cases, there's things to prove, which wasn't even the case last year. You know, sure, Josh Beckett had something to prove, and he went out and proved it. But Kevin Euclid, you know, important year for him, contractually and professionally, coming off an injury, proving he can stay healthy while staying productive. Jacoby Ellsbury. Was it just a one-year thing, or was he going to be able to be that player going forward? You know, Dustin Petroya showing, again, the, the, what he can do without that screw in his foot. Uh, Dave Ortiz, obviously, always motivated by a multitude of things. Adrian Gonzalez. Adrian Gonzalez having a bad month and a half power-wise because of what a lot of people perceive as a worn-down shoulder. All of these, along with the positional battle, shortstop outfield, I think are important. I do think that it's uh, it's an interesting change
2: in dynamic. I will admit that last year I didn't think it was a problem that there was that entitled mentality because we had seen the Red Sox really coast through spring trainings before. So I don't want to present that as necessarily a departure from what it had been in very successful years. Two when- straight
1: years, though. I mean, this is one of the things is that, and maybe it's hindsight, but two straight years that whatever spring training structure that they had – led to that kind of, that feeling of, eh, at the beginning of the year.
2: Sure, although I think that it wasn't really that different than the spring training structure they had in 2009 when they had Got to evolve, my friend. <laughs> I, I think that there is—that that might well be fair. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I didn't necessarily see it coming. Like, I thought that it was okay that they were on cruise control last year through spring training. That said, I do think that the dynamic and tenor is just going to be different in spring training this year, both because— There are those competitions that exist. There is the self-motivation that exists in a way that it didn't before. And because there are different guys who are just organizing this thing, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be, as we said, Bobby V and Bogey, and not Todd Hundley, as best as I uh, understand. Well,
1: you know, in in regards to that, in regards to get different group organizing spring training taking a different approach one of the things specifically that i'll be anxious to see is what bob mcclure and you mentioned on a previous podcast that you think bob mcclure is going to be one of the more fascinating things or or underrated things in regards to the addition that they had but I, how,
2: I just hope that he can do like a troy mcclure voice like that would be so cool
1: yeah why don't you ask him that <laughs> were you first, a fan of phil co- hartman first question <laughs> um yes you may know me from such educational films yes from such pitching gigs as the colorado rockies minor league system and um but will they you know they in regards to they've always done it a certain way last few years anyway in regards to their starting pitchers and the starting pitchers have gotten used to that and it's really eased into things Will they approach it differently? Because one of the most important things in my mind in regards to the the starting pitching, the, the rotation, is will the ability to pitch deep into games. And some of that obviously starts in spring training. Will they do anything different heading into the new year? I don't – maybe not. Maybe every team kind of – I don't want to say babies their pitchers, right? But takes it easy with their pitchers coming in. But – Will they make a conscious effort to say, hey, guys, you know, we want you pitching deeper in the game sooner in the season?
2: It will be interesting. I think that there are a couple of of fascinating precedents. Um, I know that Bob McClure has referred to to how he handled Kyle Farnsworth when he was with the Royals, and he really got uh, Kyle Farnsworth's career back on track to the point where he became an outstanding closer last year for the Rays. Um, And that was in part because McClure had him get stretched out in spring training with the Royals a few years ago and had him build out to get it to throwing five innings and just did something different with his routine. He did the same thing at times with Joaquin Soria. And I, I think that the impact of doing so ended up being pretty significant for uh, for both of those guys' careers. So I do think that we're going to see structurally perhaps um, some different things, some slightly less settled roles. The Red Sox used to do that with guys like Papelbon. Papelbon used to stretch out to mm. uh, a couple innings, a few innings, even when he was – building up for a season as a reliever. Um, But in the last couple of years, there had been somewhat less of that. Last year, the guy who may have been the greatest beneficiary of that was Alfredo Aceves, who ended up being treated as a starter in Mm -hmm. spring training. He opened the year in Pawtucket as a reliever, as a starter rather, you know, throwing five innings at a time, whatever. He only made a few starts there, but it was as, you know, as a starter. And then he ended up being this... Force unlike anything we've seen since the days of slamming Sammy Stewart or something, where it was this this mul- the the so-called multi-pitch that uh, that Aceves referred to himself as in kind of fascinating fashion, uh, where he was able to be a guy who would give you one really good inning or four innings at a time to really build up a pitching staff, and, and uh, you know th- there could be some interesting things that result in the way that they're handling. All of these guys getting stretched out this year.
1: And I think there's some value, and we're going to have to keep reminding ourselves of this um, as spring training goes along, but some value of remembering what happened in the last spring training. Because people have selective memory. And one of the things that happened was John Lackey had the best spring training of any of the starters. He was great. And John, Almost
2: as good as he was in 2010, by uh, the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. And that led to these, uh, these things which, you know, uh, scouts take, you know. All these scouts saying, you know who the guy I think is going to have a breakout year is John Lackey. Yeah, well, because he's, he's not giving up any runs in spring training. That's why you're saying that. Right. And Because we thought that his arm was still attached to his body in yes, spring training. Exactly. And conversely... Josh Beckett, Josh Beckett, the panic that ensued with Josh Beckett was incredible. In terms of throughout spring training, it was it, whether it's it was it was a five inning start in in Bradenton, or or I remember the a game the game against the Blue Jays where he gave up this monstrous home run to Adam Lowen. It, all of this, the people panic, and that's what led them to, hey, you know what? We're going to slot you in at number four guy heading into the season. Because I think the team also, they were a little concerned because, listen, his curveball wasn't quite there. His velocity was better, but there was some concern. So as we go through spring training and we are panicking about such things, we should remember about what transpired.
2: So the caveat is that this podcast is functionally
1: irrelevant. Uh, yes, but we will do another- things to watch in
2: spring training. Well, well I, I will watch them, but keep in I, mind they I, might not. Matter. I think
1: I think what this podcast does is kind of like the bridge to the relevant podcast. Wow, it's we, it, it's, it's comparing and contrasting.
2: We've we've entered the world of meta podcasts, which probably turned about <laughs> half of the people who are still listening <laughs> off. But uh, I, I think that uh, you know you've you've once again, Rob, <laughs> you've proven that you're an elegant segwayist. Um, by uh, by putting us in position to consider the rotation battle royale.
1: Yeah, I, I, I um I consider my segues to be delicious.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: Are they edible? Yes. Let's mm. this, 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 this sample some
2: right now. I'm very uncomfortable with where <laughs> this is going. So let's instead talk about pictures. Um I think that we talked about this a little bit in the last uh, podcast, thinking through Things that happened this offseason and just the importance of Clay Buckholtz because I think that as much as there's going to be eyes on the numbers four and five starters, it's going to be really huge to look at uh, at how Buckholtz um, is uh, is doing in spring training and whether or not he looks like the guy who, frankly, he looked like he was ready to be last year in spring mm-hmm. training.
1: Yeah, he first of all, by all accounts, he's had a really good off season. He worked out at the same place. that Dustin Pedroia worked out um and and the people out there said he he went through his workouts he left a little earlier than the other guys but he looked really good started throwing no problems um and let's not forget that he actually finished last year more or less healthy like he had
2: thrown in the instructional league which i think was significant Mm -hmm. uh by most accounts you know he had thrown pretty well showing you know showing good velocity while he was down there so you know, that, that he also has that feather in his Yeah,
1: belt. and so going on the assumption that he's healthy and that he's the guy he was going into last regular season, then, as you said, he becomes a hugely important part of this team, and the thing that he has to prove, and we talked about all these guys have to prove something different, the thing he has to prove is he has to come close to being a 200-inning guy. Because when he pitches, he's good, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he was – he was an elite pitcher who finished second in
1: the American League in ERA in 2010. And so he's one of these guys who I'm anxious to see. We've seen John Lester being an inning, eight-inning pitcher. He had, wasn't last year, certainly, but the potential to be an eight-inning pitcher in previous years. We see Josh Beckett be a potential eight-inning pitcher. Will Clay Buchholz be that guy? And he, he evolved into closer to that guy because of the two-seamer, got more ground balls, Less strikeouts and he was going down that road. So can he take it to the next level and give them the type of innings that they really need?
2: Yeah, he talked about that a lot last spring, how much it would mean to him to be known as a two hundred innings a year guy. Well, now we get to see if those, you know, if those stress fractures in the back are, mm. you know, are a thing of the past, then he's going his his arm is, you know, as resilient as that of anyone else on the Red Sox, maybe a Sevis he would put in that mix as well. But uh, his arm is the type of arm that can throw a bunch of innings. You know, the rest of his body, we'll see whether or not it can, it can survive that kind of toll. So uh, we'll be watching Buckholz obviously, just for signs of health, especially with his back. Because if he has a sore back at some point in spring training, people may freak out.
1: Oh, well, they should freak out because when we're identifying him as one of the most important, if not the most important part of the team, if you have a back problem, sure, absolutely. Start the freaking.
2: Okay, well, super freak, as it were. Yes. Um, So then we get to the numbers four and five spots in the rotation because I think that there isn't going to be that much scrutiny on what John Lester or Josh Beckett do while they're on the hill, at least. This coming spring, Mm -hmm. you know, they're the the attention for them is going to be related to other stuff. Actually. Yeah. I suppose we should step back. Like, you know, as as I mentioned them in passing. Well, let's not just pass on them. There are going to be 10,000 questions about uh, that are related to beer and chicken in the clubhouse. And over the course of this. Yeah. But
1: how over the course of this? I don't know about over the course of the spring, because people might not be happy with the answers that Josh Beckett gives out of the gate or John Lester gives out of the gate. Um, but this is gonna. This is the answers they're gonna get, and and there's still gonna be some rumbling and grumbling throughout spring training because of what happened last year, and it's gonna take a while, a, a while being good performances by these guys for people to forgive, for a lack of a better word. Um, but we we have to touch on them, but still the this is the fact that John Lester and Josh Beckett, they have to pitch well. For the Red Sox to do well, they have pitched well at times last year. Long stretches for each of them, and um, and they have the capability of doing it. They aren't they aren't so much of an unknown as the others. So I guess that's no matter what they do in spring training, I don't know how the discussion really evolves too much.
2: I mean, the one thing that is worth considering from a psychological standpoint is whether or not there is going to be an attitude forged in the first couple weeks of spring training even when everyone's sitting at those picnic tables and listening to the beer and chicken questions. Is this going to end up being a pissed-off team? And if so, is that a good thing?
1: Yeah, well, I think that last year, Josh Beckett was a pissed-off pitcher. I mean, he, he heard throughout spring training everyone saying... You know what's what's to make him coming off a bad year and having a bad spring training and him. How many times can he say it's no big deal? I feel good. I feel good. And then him saying, "Hey, you know, listen. You know, the fact is, when I pitch, when I when I am healthy, I pitch well. And and to this date, that's still hard to argue. Because yeah, he gained weight last year. Well, that's part of health, right? right. And so when he's healthy, he pitches well. Um, and John Lester, I think that he pitches with a chip on his shoulder a lot of times. So I think that that will continue, and that isn't a bad thing.
2: So getting back to the uh, to the question of the other starters, then, because these are guys who are being brought in who aren't going to be viewed as part of you know uh, as part of the September collapse. Even though you know Daniel Bard actually played a really significant role in the team falling apart in September, yeah. just because he had been so great up to that point, set a record. Well, we've never seen that
1: that Bard right. We had never seen that bad Bard that we saw for a, a pretty significant stretch. Not
2: there. yeah, nothing like that. When in September he what lost four games, he was uh, part of you know part of five you know pretty bad losses for the Red Sox, and uh, really his performance down the stretch and inability to be that dominant guy was ultimately very costly for the Red Sox. But now that's not going to be part of the narrative, really, that we no. talk about with Daniel Bard. Uh, we're, if we're if it is,
1: if it is, we talk about buckholes. If it is, they're in trouble. Right. So we're going to be looking at
2: Bard. We're going to be looking at Aceves, uh, who I think is very much as much in the mix for a rotation spot as Bard. I think that as much as there's a prevailing assumption that Aceves ends up back in the rotation or rather in the bullpen, he's still a guy who has four pitches, you know, who has experience as a starting pitcher, as a professional that's more recent than Bard does. Um, He has the stuff. He has the makeup. He has the desire, certainly, to be a starting pitcher. Uh, and so I do think that it's a little bit – I do think that there's some oversight, even though I understand the argument. Bart has the higher ceiling, yeah. so you assume he's the more likely starter, but I don't assume that he's necessarily more likely to end up as a starter as Aceves just because of you know the mix that Aceves has and the experience that he does. But anyway, um, Aceves – we'll watch those guys. We'll be watching the Aaron Cooks and the Vicente Padillas who have signed the minor league contracts, as well as Carlos Silva, who are all going to be in camp. By the way, what a like interesting group of ground ball inducing, non strikeout getting guys whom the Red Sox have acquired. That's another story. Andrew Miller.
1: <laughs> That's the ground ball podcast. That
2: is the ground ball podcast. Um, yeah, uh, they they, <laughs> if they end up having all of those guys on the big league staff, they may end up having to call up Jose Iglesias. But uh, Andrew Miller, you know, uh, Felix Dubront, These are you know, this is a battle royale for the last two spots of the rotation. I don't know. that's that's probably going to be the
1: focal area of the team. It's to me, it's if I'm watching the Red Sox, that makes me the most uneasy about this whole scenario, this whole situation, because we talked a lot about or in past spring trainings, how you you don't want to have to make the team as as by your spring training performance, but you have so many guys. That you reference who are vying for these spots. So, in some element, you have to go by what they're doing in spring training. And, some and Bobby th- Valentine has said many times, you look at their stuff, not right. at their. Exactly. Not their I, was stat just gonna, lines. I was just going to say that. You look at their stuff. But look at Andrew Miller last year. I mean, he was the darling of spring training for about a week and a half. Well, yeah, but it, to Terra Francona for a long time there. Me, you know, I remember for the majority of spring training, yeah, he was saying, "Hey, this guy is separating himself. This guy is separating himself," which is good for Andrew Miller, and yeah. it got him back on. the had a little nice run there, and in the regular season, but he wasn't a rotation guy off of what he showed in the regular season. And we can cite up and down performances in spring training that haven't translate to the regular season. All I'm saying is that. This is kind of like the part where they have to be careful, and it's going to take some really good talent evaluation by Valentine by McClure. Yeah, I mean,
2: they there are other models that they can point to that have been successful. Going with you know, find your start your back end starters in spring training and go from there. The obvious example being the 2011 Yankees who had Bartolo Colon and uh, and and, and uh, Freddie Garcia both emerge out of spring training, but that isn't. An easy model to repeat no so there's there's a lot of unpredictability there and that's going to go a lot it, there's going to be a hell of a lot of scrutiny and with good reason for all of those guys because the Red Sox are going to need to find two guys to step up from there otherwise they may have to you know they may have to make
1: a move in spring training well isn't the challenge the challenge really is that to find those guys not so much to find them for the first three months of the season but to find that guy, who, excluding the top three, find that guy who was going to be pitching and relying on in September. Because we mentioned Freddie Garcia and Bartolo Colon. They got the Yankees to a certain point. Good for them. But they still were left without that guy, right? And we mentioned Bard. Everyone thinks Bard has the biggest potential to be that guy. Sev is maybe potentially that guy, but this is the biggest thing that they, their biggest challenge in my mind is to find that guy who is going to be your number four starter for the entire season.
2: Yeah, and I think that there is probably an idea that the guys who break camp they aren't going to be able to resolve that question necessarily no. in spring training. You know, and that's why they have financial flexibility. That's why they've made such a big deal about it because they probably are in a position where they're going to need to read and react based on what happens with their team over the course of the year. They can't really lock themselves into their roster right now because there are too many, you know, there are questions about, What is going to happen at the back of the rotation? What is going to happen with the shortstop position? What is going to happen with Mm -hmm. right field? Or, you know, what if Carl Crawford doesn't bounce back? And so they need to be in a position where they can respond to uh, the market realities. I will say that this is probably a good year in which to be doing it because the changes to the Major League Baseball from the collective bargaining agreement Mm -hmm. mean that I think we're going to be seeing a lot more trading in the middle of the season than we've seen in some time. So why is that? uh, Because. The uh, the amount of draft pick compensation that's going to be available to guys who are leaving as free agents is not going to be the same as it was in past years. There are specific rules mm-hmm. related to there. You used to be able to have this the so called type B free agents and know that you were going to get a draft pick mm-hmm. if you didn't if you didn't trade them in the middle of a season. Yes. Well, there are new rules that are in place, and the number of guys who are going to be offered these, uh, who are going to be made offers to retain them. In order to gain our draft pick is going to diminish significantly, which means that the teams are the teams that have these uh, these guys who are free agents to be are going to have a lot more motivation to deal them in order to not just see them walk away for nothing
1: after mm-hmm. the season. Another lesson I think to be learned from last year as well is is that. In years past, the Red Sox playoff runs have really been buoyed by guys who they've called up around the trade deadline. We can go through Babel Bond, Bard, Masterson, those type of guys, and they were really without that guy last year. And it- the one, the
2: one, uh, I, I agree mostly. I'm and I apologize mm-hmm. for intruding. The one person who we should make note of is they did have a real contribution from Reddick last year.
1: Sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Reddick was a guy who called in. And I was thinking more along the lines of the pitchers. Absolutely. And and, and it was but it's it's a lesson because Kyle Wyland couldn't have done much better than he did, right, in the first half of his triple A season. He was they really thought that he was coming. So this was the guy who was gonna come up and help. Well th- you uh, it, we don't know what's going to happen with these minor leaguers they have now but to expect that someone is going to have the first half that Kyle Wyland did last year I don't think is realistic and because that's the case that it doesn't look right now there's not a guy you can identify Alex Wilson is the guy that you mentioned before maybe he he emerges but there isn't a guy say hey you know what this is the guy who we see coming up in July, August, and being the guy who helps is just the addition need. I, Although, remem- I remember when Bard—I mean, Bard was perceived as that guy. They knew that, okay, at some point in this year, he's probably going to come up and help us. Is there that, that guy now? And that's one—I don't think there it's, is.
2: Well, it's a different form of guy. So the interesting thing is that—and I find myself guilty of this a lot— Uh, there's a bias towards thinking about, is there that guy who's homegrown, who's drafted and developed or signed internationally and developed by the Red Sox? The answer may be no on that front, but that doesn't mean that in the organization, there isn't that guy who's going to be able to help, you know, over at some point during the season, which is why all of these signings that they've made of these guys on minor league deals, the guys like Aaron Cook, the guys like Vicente Padilla. And I think there's a good chance that one or both of them starts the year with the big league club there's also probably a pretty good chance that one or both of them doesn't start the year with a big league club. Uh, guys like Felix Dubront, guys like Alfredo Aceves, if he doesn't start the year in the rotation, they may that's where they may have to find their answers in order to get that upgrade in the middle of the season. And it may not be the homegrown guy that we saw in that pretty remarkable run of player development from 2005 to
1: 2009. Well, and in, in, in I agree with you about that and... In- that's just the guy I'm I'm classifying now. And you're right. I mean, the, you can get from all those different guys that you signed, those guys coming from more other organizations. But I'm just saying, hey, you know, is there that guy who is making the step, making the step, making the step, and then boom, he's right. dropped in? Because as you just said, they had quite a run there. Yeah. I mean, they had guys who not only came up and did well, but came up and – Never looked back. And never, Never looked back, and all of a sudden were – their best pitchers in the postseason. Papelbon, best pitcher in the postseason 2005, right? Sure. You know, uh, Bard, when he came up, you know, got the, the biggest outs of the year in that game three against the Angels. Masterson just rode him the entire series, the entire playoffs. Probably to a fault, but yeah. Right. And, and uh, so – um, when when you can't go out and get the guy that you want, that's a nice thing to drop in. but anyway, these are the type of guys to find someone in spring training who might emerge to get at least get on our radar is another thing to be Yeah aware. I
2: think that the, the they have a paucity of starting depth in their in their organization. Uh, with you know some wild cards in that minor league free agent category. So I think that they do have the potential to have impact contributors in the bullpen, particularly with a guy like Wilson. And I think that I'm more bullish on Dubron than most people because I do think that he was really in a good place in his development through 2010. But we'll see. Um, so... Uh, let's see. Other things that will, but I do think that that's an important thing that we'll be looking for in spring training. You know, is Anthony is Anthony Renato, uh, and he's not going to be in Major League camp, but is someone like him going to be putting himself in position to maybe move fast in the system mm-hmm. to the point where, who knows, maybe at the end of the year, they he could be knocking on the door. I don't think so because that's not really the progression that's normal for them. That would be a little bit rushed to my mind, but... He's a guy who will certainly bear watching. And
1: there's examples going to both position players and pitchers. Another thing that spring training does is puts guys on their radar, not necessarily for this year, but the example I remember, clearly Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry, when Dustin Pedroia got hurt. And the WBC, I
2: think, also benefited him. I think that was the spring training of 2006, I want to say.
1: uh, For Jed Lowry. Well, I just remember Dustin Pedroia got hurt. I think it was a shoulder injury. And this was when the the vastly out of shape Dustin Pedroia. But he was supposed to get the at-bats. He was the guy coming up. He was going to get the at-bats. Hurt his shoulder. And they needed someone to get those at-bats. Jed Lowry was that guy. Jed Lowry was a tick behind Pedroia in terms of the progression. Jed Lowry came up and played very well and put himself right on the radar. And, you know, he had some bumps in the road leading the rest of going uh, to his – Finally, get to the major leagues because yeah, I think he had an injury plague year the next year.
2: Yeah, two thousand six, he uh, he had a leg injury that right uh, inhibited him. So Carolina. so
1: he had the good spring training and then didn't really carry over because of the injuries. But what it did was for the major league coaching staff, they said, hey, you know what, this guy can play. Right, and um yeah, so there's a couple of guys. Uh, the the name's eluding me. The um the outfielder hurt his ankle last year. Uh, oh, Juan Carlos Linares. exactly. Does he does he make an he made somewhat of a impression last year? Does he come off the injury and make even more of an impression yeah, this year? Yeah, he
2: uh, the the Red Sox are speaking highly of where Linaris was by the way in his rehab in the Arizona Fall League, and they they do view him as being a pretty good player. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So I think that uh, Lenaris kind of you know let's let's do the segue thing again. Health, I guess, is one mm-hmm. thing that you always need to monitor in spring training, and that can be both positive and negative. I think that the two biggest acquisitions of last offseason. Um, really are a good indication of that because I think there's going to be a lot to watch with Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, and Bobby Jenks.
1: Yeah, and and it's not always going to be what people want to hear, I don't think, because with all all those guys, you're talking about you're going to take it slow because you know the value that they can if they come back healthy. Um, Crawford is is the wild card because I'm not really clear on what we should expect in regards to when he's going to be back, um, we we hear okay potentially opening day. More realistically, maybe a few weeks in. But this wrist thing, it, you talk to the people who are around him. He's he's had this wrist thing for a while, and and wrists are tricky too. Well, we've seen it time and time again. To me. This is the thing that that as spring training goes, that we could say, hey, you know what? It's not coming along as quickly as we thought it might.
2: Yeah, it really messes with you know it messes with your mechanics, and then it met, and then it messes with your mind. David Ortiz has talked about that a lot. Your wrists are your livelihood mm-hmm. when you are a major league hitter, and you know you need to have you know you need to feel right. Obviously, Crawford has spent a number of years of his career not feeling right and dealing with this wrist condition uh, that ultimately required offseason surgery, but. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that this was, this could be significant because I thought that this was a big spring training for Crawford Mm -hmm. in order to get that comfort zone, you know, finally, like, okay, I know the lay of the land kind of in Fort Myers, even though it's a new, it's a new ballpark, which could, you know, uh, which I think will be a good thing for most of the, for these players, even though it's a slightly different routine than the one that they had last year, but Um, I thought that this was the year for Crawford to get his legs under him and maybe he can get his legs under him now, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not he can get, you know, he can get that feel in the batter's box when I'm not sure when he's going to be swinging in spring training. I, I do think that as we saw with Gonzalez last year. Yeah. The degree to which you're able to perform in swing tra- in spring training and, and to have the spring training that you're used
1: to can have an impact on the full trajectory of your season. Well, and we saw you also have to be smart about it, and you have to be okay. I'm not jump right into it and say I got to be the player right off the bat. You know when you saw it with Gonzalez taking it slow, people oh well he's only hitting singles. Well, you know you have to ease back into it a little bit. And an interesting thing maybe to look at with Crawford is that. How his mindset was when he came back from that injury. I think it was in two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight. So he comes for back. the postseason against the Red Sox. Right. Sorry. So I mean, there was a different sense of urgency, but urgency nonetheless. There was. This is the urgency of I want to get back into the season and get going. That was the urgency of I want to contribute to our pennant run. And um, and did he learn anything from that? So write that down. <laughs> One of the things to do. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I think that
2: uh, I think that Gonzalez, seeing whether or not he's able to be a different hitter this year, uh, especially for the, you know, seeing how different it is for him to have a normal spring training. Mm-hmm. Because he was exceptional at times, and the Red Sox certainly can have no quibbles about his production last year when he was finishing with, you know, a mid-900s OPS and that sort of thing. But he didn't hit 30 bombs, which I think everyone was kind of expecting, you know, no one was expecting Jacoby Ellsbury to lead the Red Sox in home runs last well, year. Well,
1: didn't we want Adrian Gonzalez, when he was going through that power outage, just to stand up in front of his locker and say, my shoulder's wearing down. And, I mean, we, we, in hindsight, that's what we want him to say. because We wanted
2: a real-world confessional.
1: The, yes, exactly, and the, the, yes, minus the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. And uh, but but we, I think we know now that this was the problem, right? The, and the, it makes all the sense in the world. Absolutely, and it would make sense to us. And I think the questions were probably what well, was the neck, and you know the neck problems, and changing his swing, and but there were clearly factors that. Was leading to him not hitting home runs besides just, hey, well, you know, he's struggling in his first year in the American League. And it will be fascinating to see how much an entire offseason of training with that shoulder, hitting with that shoulder, hitting in spring training, really translates into another year in the American League.
2: Right, people talk about it like filling up a gas tank, using the offseason to fill up a gas tank and then you you know you steadily deplete it as mm. the games start. And with Adrian Gonzalez, he didn't quite get to fill up the tank because he wasn't able to have that normal offseason workout. Um the one other guy who I'll talk about in terms of health is Kevin Youkilis because they need to see a healthy Youkilis in order to have that solid 1 through 5 in the lineup. And they need to see a pretty defensively spry Youkilis mm. because you know, if, if you're talking about Euclis and Mike Aviles on the left side of the infield, Euclis didn't have good range last year. He was obviously inhibited by you know, by the hip. He has really good hands and so he was still yeah, able to make up for his hands. I didn't even think his hands
1: were that good last year, to be honest with you. And, and believe me, I, I was on the Kevin Euclid can play third base bandwagon as as the my could get Kevin Euclid win a gold glove Dory in spring training might test. But, um, I. Had,
2: you had, uh, Euclid and Scooter. No, England. I actually had all four okay, infielders when cold
1: gloves. You were half right. Um, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, so, so close, yet so far away. Mm. But, um, I just think that he had a su- just like Adrian Beltray the year before. I mean, I just thought he had a subpar defensive year. Um, but Beltray's yeah. subpar defensive year was
2: still like a world of difference from Euclid's. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that you're right. I think that when you look at Kevin Euclid right now, is that he does have good hands and and you would you you would hope that the range um, is solid enough to make up because you, you raise a very good point. I mean, we talk about Avilas, the potential of Avilas, and. But even the best Mike Avilas isn't going to have great, great range.
2: And the Red Sox have talked about this, that last year they were hampered by their defense on the left side of the infield, especially, you know, especially either because of Euclid's injury or after he wasn't available when they had, you know, Scudero was was limited in his range at times and, you know, his shoulder limited him as well. Uh, And then, you know, you had you, you didn't have good left side infield defense. And that really contributed more than people realize to the horror show that was their pitching staff
1: in September. And 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 just a slightly off topic of Euclid but on topic with the shortstop position. I said before at a previous podcast that Michael Beals is one of the things I'm really looking forward to seeing in spring training. Him playing shortstop by his throwing in particular, because one of the knocks on him from the Kansas City point of view was his throwing. And he and but they feel that he had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago, that he's gotten better and better and better. We remember uh, I think it was a game or two last year where he had some problems throwing. So he has a strong arm. But is it going to be an accurate arm? Is that going to is that going to be one of the problems that play him playing shortstop? It was
2: interesting. Pedroia on one of his appearances on W E I this offseason. Yes, you may have heard of the Laser Show. I have whatever they ended up calling it uh, <laughs> by the end of uh, by the end of its campaign. Um, he was raving that Avilas has a cannon of an arm. So arm strength isn't an issue for him anymore. But yeah, they need him to be you know they need him to be a precise uh, a, a precise thrower mm-hmm. as, as a shortstop. And it'll be really interesting to see. How that dynamic takes shape. So I, I assume then that shortstop is one of the things that's kind of on your radar to just see how.
1: Yeah, I mean how I th- those guys work there. Yeah, I mean I think that Nick Punto is is it's it's a better defender than Mike Avilas right now, um, but he also hasn't been a regular shortstop as much as Mike Avilas has, and I think Nick Punto's value may be moving around a little bit and playing different places and. Um, But who knows? Maybe they get to a point where they're really, really not happy with the defense on the left side of Diamond. So they say, you know what? We're going to sacrifice offensively a little bit to move Punto in there on a more regular basis at short and make it a little better.
2: And then the wild card for down the road, and I don't think that they want to do this, is Jose Iglesias because they want him to get his time in the minor leagues this year in order to be able to hit and hit successfully. But late in the year... You know yeah. it'll be interesting if he's had if he's hitting a solid, if he's had a solid yeah. performance in triple A, not if he's hitting, you know, not if he's hitting you know two hundred, not if he's hitting you know two twenty with no extra base hits, but if he has a solid performance in triple A, then in August, if they're struggling with their left side infield defense, would they consider that? And I think that that's something well, that you know that's going to be at least tantalizing while they watch him. You know, playing the infield in spring well, training. Well, you
1: talk about spring training and what to watch. And this is the, the Jose Iglesias thing is going to be one of the more fascinating things. And I think one of the more frustrating things from. I think we're on the same page with this it, because. Of this, this, the media myth in the world. One of the things, that, a couple things, drive me nuts. The Liverpool thing drives me absolutely nuts because you look at Liverpool situation. People say, "Oh, he's distracted." Well, you know what? Their payroll has gone up every single year since they bought Liverpool. That aside, one of the other things is everyone coming, not everyone, but a few people saying Jose Iglesias is going to be the opening day shortstop. I might be absolutely wrong. Maybe he is. But all the points that you mentioned are reasons why. I I just can't see it happening. Maybe if one of their actual shortstops
2: is shot in a pawn shop over the course of spring training, but otherwise, no. I mean, it would take it would take something extraordinary to my mind.
1: They need Iglesias to develop. And you know what's dangerous about it is that we've seen Jose Iglesias in spring training before, and he was good. He he was good. He impressed people. And remember that for us here, two years ago, uh, he was upset about even being sent down because he knew he was good. Well, when to your point, when you hit just above 200 in AAA, and haven't have have haven't played nearly as many games as they want you to play because of injuries, I don't care how you do it. If he hit 450 in spring training and plays great defense, still, as you said before, I still think, got to think, that they're going to put him back in the minors.
2: Yeah, they are very much mindful. I was actually talking with uh, Arnie Baylor, the Paw Sox manager, uh, about this a couple of days ago. Um, and... You know, he said, look, the guy has just had so few professional at-bats. He hasn't even had 700 professional at-bats at this point. And both of his seasons have been interrupted by injuries. This is a guy who is going to be, who has the chance to be special one day, but not if you rush him. And if you put him in a position where his confidence is suddenly going to be shattered by, you know, by competing at a level that he's not ready for. Which is, you know, which is almost a position that they put him in last year. Uh, he's strong enough and willful enough that it didn't shatter his confidence, but nevertheless, they want him to succeed in the minors before he gets that opportunity in the majors. Yeah,
1: not in spring training, but in the minors. Confidence yeah. is not built up by you know f- fringe major leaguers pitching, starting game success against those type of guys, which is what he's had before.
2: So, uh, the last question that I'll get to is, do you think that the Red Sox end up making a significant move? I'm not talking about the 25th man on the roster or rounding out the 40-man roster. Do they end up making a significant move over the course of spring training?
1: Well, you rarely see it, right? I mean, you rarely see— In the past, that's been true. The trade, Yeah, and and you go back to Billy Bean's advice to Theo Epstein— um, leading into his first spring training, said don't get carried away with what you see in spring training. Don't make moves off of motion with regard, regards to that. I remember the I think it the move for Tony Womack, um, right. uh, trading Tony Womack at the end of spring training one year. Um, but you typically don't see it. But I, I guess I would say this. I would be less surprised if they did it this year than other years um, just because they weren't able to – accomplish or hit the ground running in regards to their roster, I think, like they would want it to in years past. Does that make sense? The sure. The that the, the, the
2: roster is less complete. That's why there's competition.
1: Right. And, 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 you know, I think they said, you know, I really, really wish we were able to address this. We really wish we were able to address this better than we did. And um, if the opportunity presents itself, Yeah, I I think that they could make a move. Do you want me to drop some
2: CBA knowledge on your ass? I
1: I love the CBA knowledge.
2: Okay, so I do think that there could be a slightly different trade dynamic this year because of the collective bargaining agreement. Namely, guys who are going to be worth draft pick compensation are not going to be worth draft pick compensation if they're traded in the middle of the season. Mm -hmm. So uh, the net effect of that is that a team that has a potential guy who would be worth draft pick compensation is going to have a much harder time trading them in the middle of the season than they will in spring training. Mm-hmm. So for guys who are going to be entering their walk years, there could be a different dynamic in play now than there has been in the past for this spring training because once April, once opening day arrives, mm-hmm. their trade value goes way down mm-hmm. because they're no longer worth two draft picks. If you trade a guy in spring training who's entering his free agent year, uh, then you potentially could get two draft picks back for him uh, the trading team could potentially get two draft picks back for him. So there could be something different going on this year in terms of the dynamics of the of the market. That said, the likelihood is that there still aren't that many moves because there aren't that many guys who are really good who are going to be tradable in entering into their walk years.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right, and, and I would like to say that I, this was my line of thinking when I said there might be a trade in spring training, but... Um, you obviously took it to another level, which I appreciate here on the Bradford Files. Thank One time
2: you. on a cruise, I was told, uh, I was asked by a waiter, uh, "Would you like to take it to the next level with cheese?" And I thought that, that was just the greatest thing ever. That was uh, just to be clear, that was on a, that was salad. It was shredded Parmesan with a salad don't want to don't want to confuse anyone about the context for that but um, that so was that was, say, al-
1: that was also the alternative title for the podcast taking it to the next level with cheese right well <laughs> I suppose that CBA knowledge is, is evidently <laughs> akin to cheese but but I think the thing is you're right I think it, the reluctance despite the the potential for getting draft picks still the reluctance is not being overreacting to the quality of player that you have and that you're trading because if you do it the middle of the year you know what that player is pretty much, the year he's having and what you're going to get back, so forth and so on. There's so much uncertainty a month into a Major League exhibition season. It it, it really should make you a little bit sheepish about what you're getting So, or what you're giving the up. The only
2: wild card is let's say that the White Sox look just brutal. Mm-hmm. Then they might decide to blow it up, in which case a pitcher like Gavin Floyd might end up being – they might end up being – you know, deciding, sure, now is the time to move Floyd. I think that would be a bad move on their part because I think that they should keep Floyd until the trade deadline when there are more teams that would have payroll and roster flexibility. Mm -hmm. They would be willing to part with a more significant prospect package for a guy who's under team control for a couple of years. But um, that would be the one wild card. But otherwise, it's difficult to imagine who would be a big name who could be dealt in uh, in the middle of this coming season.
1: Uh, well, I mean, this, this probably goes to the trade deadline podcast, but you know, Andre Ethier is going to get, I would imagine, get a lot of buzz at the trade deadline. Except
2: that the Dodgers could compete.
1: Yeah, but right now it, I wouldn't bank. A on new Dodgers it. owner,
2: though, isn't going to want you know. If if they're out of it, then yes, they deal in at the trade deadline. Well, the but fact that they, they have, wouldn't make that call. The fact now. That they
1: have no, no, I wouldn't. But if you're talking about, about potential guys, and we, we look at the free agent market for next year, sure. it's not a good free agent market.
2: There are some interesting guys who will be available as pitchers, as starting pitchers, uh, but, but
1: but not for position players. Josh Hamilton is a guy, yeah. obviously. But there's uncertainty with that, and Texas is going to be in it anyway. But um. But Ethier, just because, you know, they have show, show no inclination to talk extension with him like they did with Kemp. Right. So, um, yeah.
2: Mike Napoli, I guess, is another guy. But, yeah, so I guess that'll do it for this, uh, uh, for this look at the storylines that we're going to be watching for spring training. Um, it should be a really interesting Red Sox spring training. There's going to be no shortage of storylines. And we will look forward to covering it for you all at uh, weei.com. Rob, thanks for having me on, and we'll call it a day for the Bradford Files.
0: Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 cleaners and protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nano-spray coating gives you professional protection and a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. Both products are available now at Advance Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information.
1: The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are. I'm Matt Spiegel, and I'm the host
2: of the brand new podcast, Beat the Streak Daily. Every weekday this Major League season, I will update the state of Beat the Streak. The rules are simple. Each day, pick one or two players you think will get a hit. And if they do, your streak continues. Sounds doable, right? But so far, it's been impossible to win. And with millions of dollars on the line, no one has ever gotten to 56. Subscribe now to Beat the Streak Daily. Wherever you get your podcasts and play Beat the Streak for your chance to win 5.6 million dollars.